Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host, Dr. Reed Robison, and I discuss intention setting. Reed and I believe that intention setting is a crucial part of getting the most out of a psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy session and out of life. We talk about our favorite ways to help our clients set intentions, and um, we discuss how we're personally trying to live lives calibrated to our highest purpose. If you like what you hear today, please share it with somebody you love or somebody you hate, somebody who needs to hear it. You can also give our show a rating and a review on platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like, you can email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. And much to our own chagrin, Reed and I are on social media. So if you'd like to interact with us there, you can find us on Instagram. Reed is at Interspace Doctor, and I am at Dr. Steve Thayer. Now, without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. Today on the podcast, Reed and I are going to talk about setting intentions, both in psychedelic psychotherapy, which is, you know, psychedelic therapy frontiers, and in life generally. Is there really a difference? It's a great question. All of life's a ceremony. Make it sacred. Keep your intentions front and center. Good Call enough. it good. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> We've said all we need to say. Mm-hmm. So I guess, what, you know, what does it mean to set intentions um, mm. in, in life and in psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy? Um, you could say that, as you said, like, this is a, uh, an attitude that is broadly applicable, but um, it's especially applicable when we're going to enter into a non-ordinary state of consciousness mm-hmm. occasioned by a psychedelic substance for the purpose of healing, exploration, or wholeness. And what's the difference between intention and attention? Mm. Well, they're related. They're related, right? They're not the same, but they're related. Mm-hmm. I think for me, so what we can talk about setting intention in life generally. Yeah. In order for me to set a course in life, a deliberate course to live life on purpose, I need to be paying attention. I need to be paying attention to a lot of things, right? We've talked a lot on this podcast about mindful attention. But I need to not only be paying attention to my surroundings, to the people in my life, the people I invite into my life and the people that find their way into my life, because those people can influence me with their requests for my efforts, attention, you know, um, help. Um, and uh, so the people in my life, but also the other aspects of my environment, mm-hmm. the media that I consume, the music I listen to, the uh, the the job that I choose to work, right? The kinds of entertainment that I choose to engage in. So in order to set that course, to be intentional with my life, I need to pay attention. I'm riffing here, so I could be totally off base. You can correct me if you want. Yeah. But I need to pay attention to these other variables externally, but also internally. Because intention is setting your sights on something in accordance with your values Mm. and um, taking inspired action towards it. And you need a certain amount of attention, attentional training, uh, concentration ability to be able to hone in on that and stay honed in on it mm-hmm. th- as the winds of life blow you around. 
or else you're not captaining your own ship. You're getting blown in the direction of wherever the wind blows. Right, right. So you said you said values and then inspired action, right? So that um, those are things that are relevant to paying attention inside of us, right? Where do we draw our inspiration from? Mm-hmm. Where do our values come from, right? They are probably to some extent communicated to us or suggested to us by in our upbringing by our parents or other influential adults. But ultimately, we have to look deep, deep, deep inside and draw inspiration from what's core to us, yeah. i.e. our values. Um, and I, I try to do this every day. So this is my current practice where I wake up every morning and I call it my morning calibration because the the winds that you're talking about, they, they uh, will knock me off center. They'll make me mm-hmm. imbalanced or unbalanced. And so I need to recalibrate every morning. And I, I try to do this in the evening as well, where I go over... And I ask myself some calibrating questions. Um, I make some calibrating commitments, like commitments to my values, authenticity, love, freedom, awareness, things like that. Um, And then I just, I I, uh, use gratitude to calibrate myself. So I I try to have a gratitude practice both in the morning and the evening. Mm -hmm. Because depending on what happens during the day, it's easy to get out of whack to be overly concerned with things I don't necessarily need to be. And gratitude just seems to be a really effective tool at bringing me back into balance. I love that. And I have a similar practice, I guess, that involves a three by five card. Doesn't matter what color or if it has lines or not or how Mm -hmm. messy, but it involves writing one intention for the day. And then on the other side, there might be two or three bullet points of things to accomplish that day. And because they're on the same card, I get to see if they're in line. Like, And I would show you in my pocket right now, except it brings up another point. It's not in my pocket. I have not <laughs> done it today. <laughs> and, um, and I bring that up because I also like to remind myself and our listeners to be gentle with yourself and not worry about perfection. I just go for this, like we've talked about before, like an 80-20 rule in some of these goals and practices where if I'm doing it 80% of the time, I'm completely thrilled (laughs) because I'm moving in the direction of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think life is about um, achieving perfection. It's not even really about achieving any particular goal where you sort of check the box and you're done. Yeah. It's more of a process, right? Wholeness uh, or wellness or whatever you want to call it is a, is a continual process of calibration. That's a, a, an important point too, because I believe intentions should be part of that way of life when living a life of wholeness, where we do them on a regular basis. And it's not just to get somewhere or to accomplish a goal and then be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're never mm-hmm. done setting intentions in my, in my opinion. Um, uh, and I think all too often they show up in ceremony or psychedelic settings only, or maybe in yoga class. And um, we all too often forget that we have this whole day ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if there's an intention around it, we might actually steer our course in the direction of where we want to go rather than um, getting dragged along by unconscious forces and calling it fate. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Man, this this is what we're talking about here. Like being able to plow a course through your life with intention is one of the secrets to living a mentally healthy life. And mental health does not mean happy all the time. It just Mm -hmm. means you're about the business of being whole. 
in every moment. And there's a, a interesting paradox, like we've talked about before when we bring up concepts like the Tao or Taoism mm -hmm. of there's an unseen river of your life and it's flowing and you should tune into it and go with it. And if you try to swim upstream against your unique gifts and talents, then that's going to be harder, counterproductive. Um, but I don't think they're mutually exclusive. It just takes a moment of like, oh, I need to get to know myself, mm -hmm. my unique gifts. I need to um, use that in my intention setting, like understand who I am, what my values are, where I want to go, set my sights on it, and keep it there within yeah. reason, leaving, uh, uh, remaining open to serendipity and uh, flexibility to go with the flow. And I think one of the points we're trying to make is that if you don't do this on purpose, it is unlikely to happen. Just because yeah. of the frenetic nature of life, like that, you, that Carl Jung quote that you just uttered about, you know, if you don't make the unconscious conscious, it'll dictate our life and we'll call it fate. Uh, you know, an, another way of referring to that principle is if you don't pay attention to this stuff and create a practice around calibrating to mm -hmm. your purpose or wholeness or whatever you want to call it, that there are just too many compelling forces in our modern life that will knock us off course. Yeah. You want to see it in action, just like, pause this episode, mm -hmm. <laughs> set an intention, something super simple. I want to feel more love. And then go inside yourself and think of all the things you love and all the love you've received and, mm -hmm. and then see what you feel. Bam. You just manifested it. Yeah. Or I want to experience more love, um, from other people. So try this the next time you walk into a Starbucks or into mm -hmm. your, your home, Walk in with a smile on your face with your eyebrows slightly raised and just beam at everybody and see what happens. And then the next Starbucks you walk into, walk in with a scowl and glare yeah. at everybody or stare at the ground and just see what it elicits from people. Mm -hmm. you, you can deliberately, I mean, I, I don't use the word manifest a lot because it's so mired in, in cheesy bullshit, but like you do manifest what's around you oh, yeah. by how you, the kind of energy you put out of the world. I like the word manifest these days. I know. This, I, is a, this is a Steve Thayer hobby horse thing. But. Yeah. Well, I've come back from disliking it. Yeah. Can I give you a definition of intention that you might dislike? Please. Okay. Trigger me, Reed. Intention is to, what is it? To like planting a seed in the quantum field of infinite possibility. Yeah. You know how much I love quantum fields. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what if it, what if I just said field? You know, my, my beef <laughs> with quantum is not that, uh, the concept is not applicable to the things that people like Joe Dispenza try to apply it to. I think it is an interesting concept quantum to apply. Quantum physics is real. But the idea that we can say something with authority about things which quantum physicists themselves don't fully understand and then market mm. billions of dollars worth of self-help products yeah, you can tell I'm I'm, I'm fairly critical. Of You're Joe. playing an important role uh, among the quantum police out mm. there, keeping us uh, in check. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I'm not claiming any kind of special knowledge either. And I, but I love playing with esoterra, <laughs> like we we yeah. like we had Dimitri on the podcast a few episodes ago, and I loved that episode in part because I was feeling all my skepticism bubble up, and then because I'm trying to live a life of intention, one of my intentions being to be open mm -hmm. and to be inf like the, to be influenced from a place of integrity where I am like bamboo instead of like steel, you know, I'm, I'm flexible, yeah. but I'm still secure in what I believe and what I know. Um, I learned a lot from Dimitri and 
I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts with people like Joe Dispenza or Aubrey Marcus or whatever, these people that I, I feel conflicted about. Mm-hmm. And I have learned a lot and I've felt touched yeah. by the things they've said. And I felt like some of the things they've said is utter bullshit. Triggers are friends to follow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, shine a light of awareness on it and then mm-hmm. uh, everything changes. But this is very applicable to what we're talking about here right now. This the, mm-hmm. the concept that we've talked a lot about on the podcast of triggers being friends to follow and shining a light on these things. Because if I'm not calibrating the way I'm talking about frequently mm-hmm. to my values, to my intentions to live with love and purpose, then I could yeah. be carried away by my cynicism. I'm, I'm pretty, oh, yeah. I'm a pretty critical dude uh, by nature. Like <laughs> my brothers and I hang around and like to make fun of stuff. That's one of our pastimes, yeah. um, including each other. <laughs> so I, I have a grand capacity to be very judgmental and critical. And because I have worked really hard, in part because I chose a profession as a therapist where it's important for, for me to be compassionate and accepting, I've worked really hard on shining the light of awareness on that critical part so that I can use it I can use it to help me not be duped by potentially mm-hmm. manipulative people or to be take, to be captured by ideas that might be yeah. inaccurate. Um, so I can use it strategically, uh, but I can also let it go when I want to be influenced. Yeah. Like you're, it sounds like you may have a value around um, just uh, considering the evidence or using your critical thinking um, in positive ways when mm-hmm. evaluating information mm-hmm. and uh and then you can bring an intention to that when you're going to go chart some chart a course through some choppy waters and right. you might encounter all sorts of bullshit and good shit mm-hmm. <laughs> to sift through yeah yeah you mentioned values earlier and it, um that's part of my morning calibration is i have four prime values and then underneath those prime values are a bunch of subordinate values. But the mm-hmm. four prime values, hopefully I can remember them, are mm-hmm. awareness, authenticity, love, and freedom. And yeah. so under the prime value of awareness is truth seeking and truth seeking and critical thinking. I like that hierarchy because I, I love a good value practice. I have this thing I like to do um, either individually or with people for fun of a like a card sorting task yeah. with values. And uh, as a way to revisit that, where you just have all these values, but where I, I think it falls a little short is there are a lot of values and many interrelated, and we may be able to collapse them into this hierarchical order and remember them even more easily, like you're saying, awareness. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, so what I came up with was basically the result of a similar exercise, like a card sword exercise where mm-hmm. I had, you know, 40 <laughs> values. Yeah. And it, it would it became unwieldy and not useful to go over for a list of forty values. I wasn't connected to them, so I just, through a lot of inter- internal work and working with my own coaches and therapists, distilled it down to those four. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's kind of like that mantra practice or setting an intention for psychedelic journeys mm-hmm. is you want to make it simple enough that you can actually carry it through your day or your experience without having a multi-paragraph intention um, when you're already feeling lost when tripping. Yeah. yeah. And it's something that we teach our ketamine-assisted therapists to do when they help our clients set intentions mm-hmm. is to whittle it down, like you're saying. Whittle yeah. it down to something that, that they can hold on to, like we like to say, as a flexible hope for the experience. Mm-hmm. Flexible meaning, hey, if you're going to you know, do ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, take this medicine on, 
um, you don't get to control the experience. In fact, if you try, that's often uh, what tends to result in a quote-unquote bad trip. Um, Resistance. Yeah, exactly. So a flexible hope. And, and we want to whittle it down to something like, you know, show me my resistance or show me love. Help me forgive myself. Really, really brief, right? Yeah. And yeah, maybe in a little bit we can get into that formula. But yeah. but there's a lot to peel away in terms of intention setting, the, the what and the why. And, and this really important concept of intentions in everyday life. Yeah, because I think very few people actually live consciously um, in this way, mm-hmm. like according to like tuning in their values and setting intentions around it um, in a persistent way. But I think of how many people would um, gain lots of wholeness and, uh, you know, feelings of authenticity and much mm-hmm. more meaning in their life by keeping anchored to their values through intentions. Right. Would you be willing to <clears throat> get vulnerable with me here for a minute? Yeah. Right? Speaking of authenticity. Uh-huh. So, well, I just said, yeah, reflexively. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I'll ask you the question and uh, I'll answer it myself as well. What, what pulls you out of alignment with your intentions for life? What kinds of things knock you off your balance beam? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I'm willing to get okay. vulnerable. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for joining um, me in the cold water. And it's, uh, I, f- I worry that my initial answer, the first one that comes to mind, may not even be vulnerable enough, but I think it's real. And mm-hmm. that uh, what pulls me out is too much doing, mm. not enough softness, stillness, um, introspection, and just getting like the very thing that some of my intentions re- re- lately have been um, the antidote to, <laughs> thankfully, but uh, busyness, mm. you know, the chaotic, hectic pace of everyday life. Um, because intentions aren't inherently good or evil. Like they're an unseen force that directs us towards something. And you could, your intention could be something sinister. <laughs> um, and, uh, or it could be on like, like beautiful, um, compassionate values, yeah. um, altruism and compassion. But um, if you don't have any intention, then you're just being dragged by the unseen forces or you're the unseen patterns uh, from early in your life. Yeah, like your your internal parts that are very reactive start to run the show or somebody else dictates your life, a partner, a boss, yeah. your kids, whatever. Yeah, busyness keeps me from it. Like just the fact that I don't read as many books cover to cover as I used to. I don't um, sit for as long in like personal meditation, or if I, I need more lately a yoga studio to go deep in a practice than I used to, um, as a reflection of just like I've let a little bit of this doing overthinking creep up to the surface or a little bit of this uh, um, busyness mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. take the reins and something that I'm um, becoming more and more aware of and uh, trying to step into this sovereign place of, of, uh, reclaiming, um, my attention yeah. and, uh, through intentions aligned with my values. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I've heard it said that, uh, we are human beings, not human doings. 
right? We, we get really yeah. good at doing, um, and thank God, right? We can accomplish a lot, but it can be, as like I hear you saying, I think I hear you saying, it can be a distraction from the beingness. Mm-hmm. I could give you an example. Yesterday, uh, I was on a panel, asked to be on a ketamine panel um, for a webinar. It's a conference group I, I quite like. Um, the gal who runs it is just lovely. And of course, I just reflexively said yes, forgot about it, didn't look at the questions beforehand. I'm going in to this, um, having not taken kind of a meditative approach or even set an intention, an intention of how I want to show up. Mm. Um, and so I'm reflexively just going into this mode that is not aligned with my values currently of just like um, either reciting facts or try to say something impressive. And then, but thankfully, like pretty soon into this panel, I was like, wait a second. Remember, like you want to, you want to speak from the heart. You want to speak truth. You want to um, show up authentically. Mm -hmm. And so I just like put all that other stuff aside and uh, it felt so much better. Yeah. It feels better, right? Yeah. I like, I think I've used this metaphor before, but um, for me, being out of intention is like a, a musical instrument being out of tune. Mm-hmm. And we keep playing the instrument, but, uh, you know, we're still technically making music, but it doesn't sound great. Mm-hmm. And so the process of that we've been talking about of recalibration or getting back to intention is a process of, I, I played the cello in high school. In fact, I was playing your son's cello at your house mm-hmm. <laughs> over the weekend. We were having fun and... Uh, you know, reconnecting to the power yeah, of music. That was cool. And I hadn't touched a cello like in 20 years. And I sat down and it was bizarre. You that, still got it. That my, my fingers just did what they used to do when I was yeah. 17 or whatever. Um, it was like a spiritual experience for me to touch that cello again. So thank mm-hmm. you. And thank you to Dallin, your son, for letting me yeah, play this cello. That was neat. Um, but yeah, you just tune it, right? You get it back in tune. And because its nature is to fall out of tune, to go back into chaos, we don't judge it for falling back into chaos. Yeah. We just retune it. So you yeah. didn't judge yourself in that moment. You used the power of awareness to get back in tune. Because maybe I didn't tune it that morning. <laughs> yeah. And certainly it's easier to keep an instrument in tune with, you know, every day checking it and making sure it's in tune than to let it go completely out of tune to where the strings are broken or the pegs yeah. have, you know, shrunk or whatever. And another kind of tip slash note to self that's coming up as we talk about this is just being gentle with yourself as you practice this. I talked about that 80-20 rule, but yeah. I'm just also remembering how it takes time to make something a habit and even making an intentional practice or way of life um, a habit will mm-hmm. take some time mm-hmm. and uh, it will probably involve forgetting to do it lots and uh, remembering and you know, leaning on each other, you might have a little, um, yeah, like support person or, um, accountability partner and things like this who, and that can be extremely helpful. Or a therapist or a Mm -hmm. coach, um, or a group, an accountability group or whatever, an AA meeting. I think we need people, right? We need people to help support us in this, this gentle effort of recalibrating. Yeah, because that would be another thing that pulls me out is just is related, but forgetting mm-hmm. or not having those checks and balances, those mirrors, those inspiring teachers, mentors, 
friends, loved ones. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, How about you? Yeah, what pulls me off kilter? I think it is... Well, so sometimes I get I get stuck in this um, mode of trying to to retreat to safety, you know, protect myself from feeling uncomfortable, um, prove like proving myself to other people. I need to make sure that I'm acceptable, um, lovable, mm-hmm. attractive, and so I get I get caught up in what you know might be considered superficial efforts to mm-hmm. be loved and accepted and to please. Um, and I think it's it's those. And these are we've talked a lot about the idea of internal parts, a la big mind or internal family systems or what yeah. have you. And I think it's when these these less developed or immature parts of mine that develop these coping mechanisms to protect me from pain sort of take the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. So I get really busy, maybe not in the same way that you're describing you do, but I get busy about the business of protecting my tender little heart. <laughs> you let some of these other parts take the reins more often than you may like when sitting in the supreme self, capital S self in the driver's seat. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Because I feel so much better and better doesn't always mean without discomfort. That's something I'm, I'm, I'm learning and I'm, I'm loving that I'm learning is that a good life is not a life dedicated at the, the emotion of happiness or joy. A good life is a life in my opinion, dedicated to growth Yeah. and growth is often painful. It's, we were just talking about that earlier too, of whether it's in work or life or, you know, hobbies or exercise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exercise is easy because you need to um, stress something to make it improve. But we forget that in other areas. Like we think either a relationship or a job needs to be painless or, right. or completely 100% ease in order to be acceptable. But we might forget that it doesn't, stretch us to grow. It <laughs> doesn't give us muscles. There you go. So I will see your example and I will toss it in a chip of my own example of this. Um, so I was, uh, uh, one of my, one of my current sort of alignment principles is I'm trying to be fully expressed in my life, trying to really yeah. step into and not be ashamed of the way I want to be. You know, I want to mm-hmm. make a, a Steve Thayer shaped impact crater <laughs> on this, on this <laughs> planet. Um, that'll, that'll look cool. Yeah. Right. With a big old beard. Um, Prop circles. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I, I had a vulnerable moment with somebody in my life and um, was talking about something that I wanted to do. And I got uh, a little teased about it. Mm. And normally looking stupid for like looking cheesy or dumb is like a cardinal sin in the, in the Thayer household. Like, you mm-hmm. know, don't you dare. I remember one time I, I had this shirt I got this, it was like my early twenties. I had this shirt that had like an interesting pattern on it. Maybe not unlike something Reed Robinson might wear. And, uh, I came home in this shirt to my house and my brother's like, Hey, where'd you get the blouse? And, <laughs> and it was a funny dig. Like I laughed, but this is kind of what I'm up against. Right. In my household is, you know, don't you dare stand out a little bit of tall poppy syndrome, but, um, uh-huh. so, you know, I, I've got these parts in me that I'm, that I'm dealing with. And because I, I have this value that I've ca- I'm trying to calibrate to of being fully expressed, I noticed that I feel a little precious about this thing and I felt hurt mm-hmm. by being teased a bit. Part of me felt hurt. Another yeah. part of me, I love, you know, busting chops and making fun yeah, of people but, and getting made fun of. But There was a part that felt hurt and that's was. important to not dismiss. <laughs> and so I, I didn't. And, and I was in my car driving to where I was going and I did a little bit of parts work, but this is what I did. So 
I mm-hmm. was feeling all upset, you know, this part of me. And so I just put my hand on my chest and I started patting my heart like this, like I'd pat a baby, holding a baby. And I was going, it's okay, Steve. It's okay, buddy. Like the way I talked to one of my sons when he was young. And I tried to take care of that inner mm-hmm. child part physically. And I know there's a lot of stuff like EFT tapping and there's there's some neurological things that go on when we when we touch ourselves like that. Yeah. Um, so I was it was metaphorical but literal and I'm, I'm just trying to regulate and just tapping. And I started to get a little tearful, but it felt good. Mm. And after 10 minutes of comforting myself, I was done. I didn't feel, you know, embarrassed about trying to be authentic and fully expressed. I also didn't feel angry at this person anymore. Like that part was soothed. It's like you did uh, the process of self-exploration and parts work in real time while driving. (laughs) Pretty cool. Yeah, multitask. And didn't even crash. (laughs) Didn't even crash. Obeyed all speed limits. But it's important. I think it it really highlights um, what to do with these practices and how to use parts work because that protector part almost came up and who said, oh, Someone just hit a button. Let's get them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> get out the fire hose. Get out the weapons. Um, there was two, right? There was a let's get them part. And then there was a, oh, hide. never mind, hide. <laughs> like, I don't really want to do this thing I told you. Wanted. Yeah, you're right. It's stupid. It's dumb. I don't want to do it. You know, retreat yeah. and hide. And so I had to be aware of both and comfort both. And yeah, it put me in a better place as a result. There might even be a part that says, just turn on the radio and forget it. Yeah. <laughs> like the busyness part. Yeah, for me it's a it's a podcast, right? It's just turn on someone else's podcast and listen to their interesting ideas and don't think about yours. Oh yeah, the radio isn't a thing anymore. Reads <laughs> <laughs> reads dating himself. I used to make mixtapes back you know, in the day. <laughs> I, I still have a mixtape. I guess it's a CD made for me by my uh, one of one of my was she my first girlfriend, mm. a high school sweetheart, um, and I still have it, and it's. Uh, it's a lovely mixtape. <laughs> Disney we should, songs. We should make each other vinyl. Is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> we should try. Vinyl mix records. Mix records. That'd be awesome. Please comment if you know how to do this. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Send us a how-to video. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're talking in detail about ways to essentially do this work of living a life, uh, yeah. and giving an example of living a life of intention. And please don't get the idea, dear listeners, that Reed and I are like, really, really good at this. I think we're, we're good enough. We're mental health professionals, right? We help a lot of people do this, but we're not perfect. And that was hearkening back to your point earlier about not needing to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I don't comfort my inner parts. Sometimes they take the steering wheel and drive. I give myself a B plus in intention <laughs> setting. <laughs> not bad. Go. Happy with it. Yeah. Cheering it on. That's not bad. Um, you know, I, I do like to look at the yogic perspective of everything in the universe, but, mm. but also intention setting, especially because you've probably been in a yoga class. Well, have you been in a yoga class? Not yet. yet. Okay. You, have, you need to take me on a okay, date. We're to going, we're, um, we're going, but, uh, set an intention for your practice is a common thing you'll hear uttered in yoga studios. Um, and, uh, when I first started practicing yoga, I got curious of like, okay, cool. Like how, what, why, where does that come from? Um, and just over time digging deeper, I was like, wow, this is cool. There are these Sanskrit words with multiple meanings. Like one is sankalpa, san meaning like, um, to become one with kalpa, like many Sanskrit words could be two very different things, time and the subconscious mind or like become (laughs) one with, but, but really if you look at the meaning of that word together, sankalpa, like 
like it could be a seed that's planted in your fertile subconscious. Um, or even better, one I like is like a vow that's birthed from the very truths of the core of the sacred chamber of your heart or something mm, like that. Mm. Just like you, basically what we're saying uh, about find your values and set intentions around it. Like you go in, whether it's before a ceremony or in your personal practices day to day, you go in and you find what's true for you, what resonates, what emerges. You leave the time and space and then um, you do something to bring it out in the real world. From that, like quantum field (laughs) from the ethereal unseen um unconscious uh arenas like and that's what an intention can do you you bring it to the conscious so you can shape your life yeah and it seems like that there are ancient traditions that have been talking about this practice and this phenomenon for thousands of years then we have you know, the early humanistic, humanistic yeah. psychologists um, and existentialists like Abraham Maslow and Carl Rogers and uh, Rollo May and Irvin Yalom. And, yeah. Um, talking about a, a human's tendency towards self-actualization or the inner healing intelligence that if given the right environment, cultivating the right environment, mm-hmm. that we will, if you can plant those seeds and, and water and nourish those seeds, that they will manifest themselves in your daily life. Yeah. It takes deliberate practice, though. I like uh, how the Buddhists approach it. It's like, I think the second um, part of the Eightfold Path is wise intention. Mm. So it helps with what I was talking about earlier of intention being kind of, um, you know, agnostic of indifferent to morals or um, ethics. It could be it could be a good or a bad intention, evil. Um but wise is like speaking to the fact that uh, not living with intention, with wise intention, um, can lead to suffering because of the like impure thoughts and deeds with regard to like humanity and mm-hmm. uh, our collective suffering, um, or like with regard to this idea of like karmic consequences of our actions. Um, so anyway, it does like you're saying show up in in different uh, walks of life, cultures, and philosophies, religions, quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reading um, Scott Bray Kaufman's book, Transcend, right now. Cool. He's a, he's the um, you know research professor, cognitive scientist, psychologist, mm-hmm. who uh, has probably the most probably the most popular psychology podcast out there. It's audaciously named The Psychology Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's an um, Abraham Maslow expert, and he wrote this book, Transcend. I wrote the subtitle down here. It's um, The New Science of Self-Actualization. That's cool. And there's a quote in here about wholeness that I think was rele- uh, relevant to our discussion around um, intention that I wanted to read really quick. So he says, wholeness is an aspiration, not a destination. Mm-hmm. It's a process, not a state that is ever achieved. The process of becoming a whole person is an ongoing journey of discovery, openness, and courage in which you reach higher and higher levels of integration and harmony within yourself and with the outside world, mm-hmm. allowing greater flexibility and freedom to become who you truly want to become. Since you are always in a state of change, you are always in a state of becoming. Mm, I love that. Um, okay, so it's connecting some dots for me of uh, this idea that I've always loved of returning to wholeness. It's a vector, it's a direction, it's a process, right? Mm-hmm. It's not... 
where we need to hurry up and get to, um, or something that's immediately attainable. Uh, and integration is integrating the disparate parts of ourselves in, towards wholeness, mm-hmm. right? And what we do in this whole practice of psychedelic therapy, setting intentions, integrating insights, weaving them into day-to-day life is the process of returning to wholeness. Right. Yeah. Well, you're going to like then his uh, seven core principles of becoming a whole person because you hit on most of them just intuitively. So I'll run through those really quick. And I'm not going to explain these in detail, but a lot of them are pretty face valid and self-evident. So accept your whole self, not just your best self. Mm Mm-hmm. Learn to trust your self-actualizing tendency. So that's like kind of your the inner, inner healer. Inner healer, yep. Um, become aware of your inner conflicts. Triggers are friends to follow, right? Become aware of our parts. Yeah. Look out for lopsided development. So that's, you know, if one part has taken charge and has uh, taken over. Create the best version of yourself. Strive for growth, not happiness. That's a callback to what I was saying earlier mm-hmm. about a good life. And then harness the power of your dark side. So that's the shadow work that we often talk about. Yeah, I like that. It's good, good principles, list. yeah. Yeah. So you give the book a thumbs up so far. So far. I'm not done with it, but so far it's it's really good. Especially if you're um, a fan of the early humanists. Yeah. Which that's where I started my career as a psychologist is being trained in humanistic psychology. Yeah, I've, I've gravitated towards humanistic. I mean, it is at the origin of like even transpersonal, which we quite like. And unfortunately back then, Carl Rogers had to use uh, cryptic words like unconditional positive regard because you couldn't talk about love in the therapy room. didn't have podcasts. And if you did, you'd be scared to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that the the psychedelic, um, the psychedelic medicine world, right? This uh, branch of our profession is I think collectively trying to bring love back. Because mm-hmm. I mean, imagine that, right? Those of us that are imagine interested in all psych- the people so, <laughs> give a piece of chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that the the people who are trying to bring about the psychedelic renaissance would be into love and union and wellness and uh, by those paths. Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, realizing that intention setting, maybe even as a simpler metaphor, it's coming to mind of. It's like your compass, maybe your values. You distill them down like you did into your true north, and you check this compass regularly to see if you're on track. Folks, and, check the compass regularly. I mean, I think we should underscore that. that yeah. It's, like we've been saying throughout the podcast today, it's it's got to be a deliberate practice. I don't think most of us, maybe some of us will, but I don't think most of us will accidentally find our way into wholeness. But what about the inner healer? <laughs> well, I think we got to work hard yeah. to reveal it, right? Because there's so much that we accumulate that obscures the inner healer. That's what I mean by not yeah. accidentally. Like if you if you peel back the layers and decalcify sure, or whatever you will all heal. the bullshit, then you'll heal. There is this uh, kind of order, hidden secret order in the chaos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have to create the optimal conditions for for us to heal and thrive. Yeah. Um, and again, don't confuse optimal with perfect. It's, uh, you know, the, I, hopefully you get our point here, yeah. listeners. We've, yeah, because I think it's worth, uh, drawing a bridge to the psychedelic therapy sessions because, um, when we set in, set intentions there, I think it's really important to remember that these should be, um, part of your broader intentions in day-to-day life. And, um, it's not just that 
one and done in the therapy room. In fact, you might not even know how to make sense of it until days later. Right. It might take many therapy sessions or like weeks of personal work and deep dives and journaling and reflecting and talking to uh, loved ones about it um, before it starts to make meaning of, of this stuff and yeah. connect it to your intentions and um, iterate, uh, learn and integrate. Yeah, your psychedelic session is not the culmination of your of your self improvement work, right? It is not the end point. It's not the mm -hmm. the end of the trail. If anything, it's a trailhead. Yeah, it's a practice. I like to think of it as like a yoga mat. I get on there to practice getting into stupid, weird poses that bring up a little bit of anxiety because I'm on my head, mm. and then I can remember to breathe. Then I take that into day to day life, and like I might get in a traffic jam or like stuck in a a situation that's uh, difficult or boring or whatever, and then have to do the same thing, remember the practices. So that's why I like to say little victories in the ketamine room or the psychedelic therapy room can translate into big victories in life if you bring them into day-to-day -day life. Yeah, that's the hard part, right? That's that integration part that we talk a lot about that's very difficult for a lot of us is, uh, I think you said, weaving you know, it back into mm -hmm. our, our daily life, which I like that metaphor. Because it takes metaphors. Work. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a master class on metaphors today. Mm. Um, yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy to, to weave those things back into daily life, but it's crucial. Yeah. The work that we do with psychedelic medicine for people who come to us for help, a lot of them just want to feel better, right? They just don't want to feel as depressed anymore. Or they don't want to be as anxious. They don't want their trauma triggers to run their lives. Mm -hmm. And so they're hoping that something like ketamine will just take their pain away, right? Give me, take two of these, call me in the morning kind of approach. Yeah. But it's not the way we approach healing with psychedelics um, like we're talking about. It's it's more stirring things up, showing you a new way, giving you insight, and then it still is up to you. It still mm -hmm. is up to you as the, as the patient, the client, the human being to weave those insights into daily life. Because if you... If you use, say, the seed metaphor of an mm -hmm. intentions planting a seed in this fertile ground, if you forget to water it and just leave it and don't come back, it's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. Like you need to nourish it, you know, create those conditions for growth. Yeah. Check on it, sing to it, read it a poem. Exactly. The type of seed you plant matters and the type of attention you give it. Right. The nourishment. If you, if you choose to, to water your bean plant with wine, I mean, I'm not, mm -hmm. a, I don't know much about plants, but my guess is that that would not be mm. very helpful. Good. I don't know. Yeah. Let's ask Dallin. Yeah. You know. He's, he's our local, is it horticulture? Is that the right word? Mm. The green thumb guy. Yeah. Well, on, on the way to that workshop we did last week, uh, he had a book he showed me. It was like song. Like songs, prayers, and poems for seeds. Oh. I thought it was really cool because, <laughs> awesome. like in the ayahuasca world, um, there's this kind of natural thing that uh, when ayahuasca is grown, it's grown with love and very literally prayers, mantras, singing. Mm. Like for days of, like not just the planting of it, the harvesting of it, but the boiling it down into that weird tasting Sludge. concoction. Yeah. Um, with love and prayer and song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what would happen if we brought that kind of intention to day-to-day -day life, to the food we eat on a daily basis, to our interactions with each other, um, 
as cheesy as they may be, like a kumbaya circle before we go have a basketball game in yeah. a mural ball or something. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Any other thoughts about in, uh, intention setting for psychedelic therapy in particular or life in general? Well, I don't know why. There's this Thoreau quote that keeps coming up um, that says, like, we loiter in winter when it's already spring. And I just think it may be relevant or maybe a reminder for some people, myself included, to, uh, um, you know, we don't have to wallow in the the negativity or the past or the, the traumas and the wounds. We have to do the work. We have to go through the, the difficult work, but uh, it's okay to let it go and move on. And intentions, I think, should have a, a positive forward-looking um, approach to them, like uh, rather than, uh, you know, just focused on the negative. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to make a formal invitation to our listeners to join myself and Reed in the very cold water of trying to set intentions. Cold because it's, it's, it cold can be uncomfortable. Plunge. Yeah. The spiritual cold plunge of setting an intention. So set an intention for the rest of the day. You know, stop this. The podcast is going to end in a few seconds. As soon mm-hmm. as it ends and you stop listening, be thoughtful and aware of what has been governing your life and try to set an intention that guides you to a place, to a being, to a version of yourself that you want. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. It means a lot to me. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, suggestions, scathing criticisms, etc., please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So, if you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.